Hello, and welcome to Life Science Rush Hour with Matt Corcoran. Hope everyone's having a great day. Today, I want to talk about an event I went to yesterday put on by the New Jersey Tech Council called the, the CFO Forum. It was held in Metro Park at, e, at the EY office. Um, it was a rather kind of small, almost fireside chat type um, uh, event, probably 15 to 25 people there. Um, and the guest speaker was Jim Mustakis, who was the former CFO at Amnil. Um, if you're not familiar with Amnil, um, Amnil is a generic drug maker who acquired um, or merged with Impacts Labs um, in May of 2018. In May, in October of 2017, the deal was announced. And that's why Jim was there. He was the CFO at the time. He was there from the time the deal was announced and prior to closing um, as the CFO. And he was there to talk about the process, the challenges, you know, the ups and downs of, of, of going through a deal that size. And it was a big deal. It was transform, uh, transformational for both companies. Um, it, the combined company became the fifth largest U.S. generic drug maker. Um, it was a, you know, the, the, the combined company, it's a $7 billion company. So it was a big deal. Amnil was a private company. Impacts was public. Um, the merge company is now public, but it goes under Amnil. AMRX is the symbol. If you're kind of want to look it up and get a little bit more info on, on the, on the stock and the financials and whatnot. So, you know, Jim talked about, of course, the process, um, the deal was consummated on the golf course between the, the two CEOs of the company. Um, they agreed to a deal and kind of thought it was done. Hey, let's just go do due diligence, get it done, wrapped up. Um, but of course, it's not that easy. And that's where Jim stepped in. After that kind of handshake deal was done, it was his job to, to, to kind of see it through the due diligence, the valuations, the forecast and all of that. And one of his earliest challenges was actually walking, and it was a continued challenge throughout the process, was was basically getting the CEO to buy into what he was doing and to kind of ground the CEO a bit. And I think that's become a bigger role for CFOs. Um, obviously, CFO's main function is to be the chief financial officer. Um, but in a sense, Jim was there to kind of to manage the CEO as well. The CEO's role is to sell the company, you know, from a hey, market, the company, if you will, be the, the head of it, the face of it um, and project, hey, things are going great. Here's the here's where we're going. Here's where I want to be. And the CFO kind of has to ground and say, here's where we're at. Here's where the forecast shows where we're going to be at and, and kind of ground them in reality a little bit. So that was an ongoing challenge for Jim and probably. It's an ongoing challenge for CFOs everywhere, regardless of if you're being acquired or not. Um, so that was one of the first challenges Jim encountered. Next one was getting staff. It was an, ar an arduous task to do due diligence, along with continuing to have to do your regular operations. Um, you know, those though the company continues to run as is. So, you know, Jim had to chip away getting help, bringing on some you know additional people. Um, and again, the conversation you had to see with the CEO because CEOs, when you're being acquired or you're acquiring a company, you don't want to take on added costs necessarily. You want to make the company as lean and mean as possible. So chipping away there. Some other challenges that kind of surprised me 
were managing confidentiality. That was a, a challenge or an important aspect of it that, that, that Jim highlighted. And a lot of people I don't think, at least my, me personally, wouldn't suspect that. It's important to make sure your, your confidentiality is tightened up, both internally and externally. You know, internally, you want to make sure only the people who need to know prior to announcement know. Because obviously, it can call, cause a lot of angst if everyone knows about the deal within the company. And because it, it could fall through, people start looking for other jobs. So it's very important to do that. Then externally, of course, that's you, you want to kind of keep everything close to the vest until a deal is, is you know it's going to move forward. Um, he talked about you know getting compliance with SOX. Amnial was private, so they were going to become public, so there was a lot to do with that. Choosing your due diligence um, providers and um, was obviously important and a lot of work working with them. Um, you know, one of the things he would change, and it's a bit of a challenge for a generic company because the generic the generic drug companies are so dynamic and ever changing because it's always about getting new products on, on the market. And you have a short shelf life or protected life if you're first to, to market. You know, six months, maybe eight, nine, ten months if you're lucky. And those projections are constantly changing. But the deal took so it takes a long while to 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 actually close. So one of the things that Jim was constantly doing were new were new forecasts. And he said in hindsight that's something that he probably messed up a little bit. He would have tried to push back against doing so many forecasts. Whether he would have been successful or not, he's not sure. But it did two things. A, every time you change your forecast, it kind of it could you know affect your credibility. Why are you always changing? Now it's the generic jog in business and impacts is in the generic so they understand it. Um, the other thing, it takes a long time to do these reports and forecasts and update them, you know, a week. And that's a week that could have been spent in a lot of different places. Um, so that's one thing he definitely would have changed. One thing he's super glad he did is on integration between the two companies. They put a person in charge of that, a project manager whose sole job was integration. He believes if he hadn't done that, the integration wouldn't be nowhere near as effective um, as it has been. Um, he's seen other companies, and there were some comments in the audience where, yeah, they've seen people kind of have a part-time person or the person who's in charge of integration is doing it part-time. They have, of course, their other positions. So he highly recommended against that. One thing he didn't touch on, but I want to touch on, is um, reps and warranties coverage. Um we see that we're seeing more and more reps and warranties coverage. Um, and what that is, it covers either reps and warranties coverage is, is typically more when a true acquisition is done. So think um, a private equity company buying a widget maker. Um, the widget maker obviously has these representations and warranties within the deal. And the the, the reps and warranties covered policy can cover those. So sometimes you see a company put up, you know, $5 million of escrow, for example. Well, the reps and warranties coverage policy can basically be a substitute for that. So it allows a seller to walk away once the transaction closes 
and it gives the buyer a little bit more peace of mind because he knows those reps and warranties are backed up by an insurance company. So we're seeing it more and more. They're used to cover all reps and warranties made by the seller in a purchase and sale agreement. Of course, there are some exclusions. You know, it's kind of going to cover, you know, your environmental um, reps and warranties that could be catastrophic. Typically, it's not going to cover your tax liabilities, although you could set up a policy to do that. Um, there are tax liability policies, you know, but there's a ton of, of um, you know, a ton of capacity out there. I mean, we've seen deals, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in limit. Um, you know, you take a retention of one to two percent of the deal size. The premium is, you know, two and a half to four and a half percent of the limit purchased. You know, so if you buy, you know, ten million dollars of limit, you're probably looking at two fifty to, you know, five hundred thousand. Um, two fifty is typically the minimum premium, so you you really don't want to get less than five million dollars of of, of, of coverage to make it, you know, economically feasible, you know, policies are long, long tail, um, because they're intended just to be a one-time, um, policy to cover whatever the, the reps and warranties out there. So it's something that Jim didn't mention. I don't know if it was probably the appropriate deal to be done, uh, with the reps and warranties coverage. It may have been, I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, what was the escrow, um, because again, it was more of a merger than an acquisition. But it could be structured to cover something like that. Um, so again, the New Jersey Tech Forum put on a great event yesterday. I'd recommend you go out there and support them if you can. If you're in New Jersey, it's more than just tech. They do, you know, they do um, life sciences as well. It's all kind of under that umbrella. They have a ton of events um, throughout the state of New Jersey. I'm in Pennsylvania. I went to it, so you don't have to be in New Jersey. Um, so look them up. Um, New Jersey Tech Council, easy to find. Their events are easy to find, um, relatively inexpensive. So, again, thanks, EY, uh, for, put, for hosting, New Jersey Tech Council for putting it on, and I look forward to the next one. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.